Hey, I'm Sean. And I'm Jesse. And, and we're, we're the, the DMs, DMs of Vancouver. Vancouver. We're two newish DMs who are still getting the hang of the whole DM thing. So we sit down with a friend every couple of weeks and pick their brain on their approach to DMing. So come along as we figure out how to help our players have the best time possible at the gaming table. talking about uh, something that I've been wanting to talk about for a little while, which is checking out other systems other than D&D and cribbing stuff and exploring other systems for use in trying to tell a specific kind of story. Uh, today we're talking to Harry Dreisma. Harry? Uh, hi, I'm Harry Dreisma. You might recognize my smooth, dulcet tones from Listen to These Nerds, another local tabletop podcast. <laughs> so uh, yeah, good to be on the show, guys. Yeah, um, thank you so much for reaching out and wanting to come on. We're always looking for more guests. Yes. Um, so let's let's start off. What other systems have you played besides D and D? Oh God, that's a that's a big one. Uh, so sort of going in chronological order, um, starting uh, with Wild Talents, which is a system that uses the One Roll engine, which is a system developed by. I unfortunately don't know the name off the top of my head, but basically relies on matching uh, numbers with sets of D10s in order to, you know, move the action forward. Uh, we've played a couple different variations of the One Roll engine. We've played Wild Talents, which is one that's based specifically on superheroing and superheroics. Uh, we've played Rain, which is sort of like an Age of Adventure, you know, swashbuckling system, stuff like that. Nice. Other things we've tried out, other things that I've tried out are um, systems that are powered by the Apocalypse Engine. So a simple 2d6 system, higher the number, better things happen. These ones that I've played personally are um, Monster Hearts. And we recently just did an episode involving the World Wrestling Federation, which is basically that system, but for uh, wrestling and pro wrestling and stuff like that, which was a lot of fun. It was a great time. Uh, other than that, some other ones that I've played are uh, Shadowrun. And I've also had a lot of experience in using Savage Worlds, which is a very modular system with a very simple dice set that's very good for creating whatever setting or story that you really want. One thing right off the bat, um, well, two things actually. First one, please tell me somebody did like Bonesaw from Spider-Man and be like, Bonesaw is ready! Uh, actually, we didn't do that in that one because the thing is, uh, in the other, like in the Wild Talent superhero game that we have going on, uh, Heroes of Pacific City, one of the characters is basically a superpowered wrestler who has the mild-mannered, like, secret identity, and then he transforms basically into Macho Man Randy Savage. So we've already had enough of that, and we're like, all right, we need to branch off in different other wrestling archetypes. Um, and, and the other one is, I think Shadowrun is the game that I've read about most online being the most divisive in terms of whether people like it or not. What are your thoughts on it? Shadowrun is, like, if you can get a really good DM and you can get people together that don't mind reading a lot, it's a fantastic system. Like, you ever want a system where it's like, ah, I love it when a plan comes together. Like, that is the system to do it in. The problem with that is that because it has all of these moving mechanics, the rule book is about as thick as, like, your average college textbook and is super, like, intertwined. Like, I think the there was actually a section that when you were reading it, referenced you to go back and read another section in the same section that it was in. So it's one of those games that requires like a lot of like prep time and you need to know the stuff inside and out and it's very complex but man if you can get it all to run together it like sings like a dream but it just it requires the work to be put in. Out of those systems that you've played, uh, Shadowrun, the Powered by the Apocalypse ones, was there anything in particular that drew you, drew you to those systems? 
Um, really the sort of I, thing that I like about a lot of them, and this is sort of the reason why my group in particular is stuck with wild talent so much, is sort of the, the flexibility that it allows to do them. Like, with Powered by the Apocalypse and Wild Talents and stuff like that, there is a very, like, it has a specific set of rules, but from those rules, you can sort of branch off into pretty much anything. It's the reason why, like, Powered by the Apocalypse has stuff that covers fantasy, uh, occult horror, um, Breakfast Club-style shenanigans, um, high school, like, Dawson's Creek-style stuff, wrestling, um, literally actually fighting the Apocalypse, stuff like that. So there's a lot of flexibility to that. And Wild Talents also has that but in a different way and the fact that wild talents is big sort of like big feature is that you can create any superpower you want within the system like it is extremely open-ended extremely capable of being broken as i found out incidentally in the past but just the sheer flexibility of it is just mind-boggling and it's always fun to kind of see like okay like as a dm to be like all right well yeah, technically there's nothing in the rules that says, like, your power shouldn't work like that. But logically it would make sense, and it's also really cool, so I'm going to give it to you. Okay, so I'm familiar, speaking of superheroes, I'm familiar with Mutants and Masterminds, which is, a, like, a very dense point-by system for powers and everything like that. How do how do those games work as far as that? Is it more or less complicated, do you know? Or? Wild Talents is slightly more complicated, but probably for different reasons. Because okay. rather than, like, going... I'm assuming for Mutants and Masterminds, I've never played it, but I'm assuming, like, in order to get a superpower, you basically, like, go through a big tome of superpowers and pick them out which ones you want. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, so the way Wild Talents does it is that you've got basically three subsets of powers. You have things that attack, you have things that defend, and you have stuff that does something else. Whatever that is, maybe you move up walls, maybe you create stuff out of thin air, that's just an entirely separate category. And then how you build an actual, like, specific power is you just add on what are called extras and flaws. And each extra and flaw does something. So maybe you have this beam that you shoot, which is an attack power, but maybe it also sets people on fire. So it has the burn extra, but in order to do it, you have to say some cheesy heat-related pun, like, ah, oh, things are heating up before it works. And that would be an if-then flaw, which basically is like, you know, pun mastery or whatever. And depending on how many plus, like, depending on how many extras and flaws you have, the powers cost different amounts in character creation. Yeah, so it sounds pretty similar, except that, like, that if-then, like, making the bad pun stuff, that sounds like it uh, adds more roleplay kind mm. of text to be able to do abilities, and that actually sounds amazing. Yes, like I said, Wild Talents is, it's one of those systems that's really, really cool. Um, you need to have everyone on the same page because it's very easy for someone to just be, okay, I create Superman and I solve all problems by just punching them. And, you know, that's not great if you're trying to play, like, you know, a street-level Daredevil-esque campaign. So there's a lot of, like, give and take in what happens to it. My uh, personal sort of, like, I call it, like, a crowning badge of both achievement and shame is I created a character that had to be nerfed four times to not be, like, super overpowered completely by accident. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's a common problem with point-by systems just because, like, it's so easy to accidentally break the game without even intending to, right? Yeah. And to be fair, part of that was also because we misunderstood something in the rules. So it was a lot of, like, when we basically did the game again, which is the current uh, campaign that our podcast is going through, Heroes of Pacific City, like, we basically had to sit down and be like, okay, so that's not how those things work. Okay, I'm going to have to adjust a few things. Yeah, the point-by systems breaking a game accidentally has happened to me because my favorite system at the moment is eclipse phase mm. and the point by system is 
complicated <laughs> but it's and there's also a couple of pitfalls you can run into but they've got if the dm lets you you can create character characters who have psychic powers and i dm the game where somebody had psychic powers and anytime he talked to somebody it was basically well i convinced them <laughs> oh, no. oh you, you just professor x your way through the entire campaign oh it's awful yeah so it that's the thing with point by systems is that i feel that you have to the especially the dm gm uh whatever has to have a much better understanding of how all the systems work together mm-hmm. or at least run uh, run into enough combinations that when somebody presents them with a character they can be like no these two things plus this thing means that you're going to face roll every fight yeah and that is that is one of the things that we had to because we've done a wild talents like we basically run uh, in the, not the exact group but i've basically been in several wild talents games between me and another one of the people on the podcast john and between like the three different campaigns we've run we've kind of both come to this sort of like implicit understanding of okay so if you have an interference dice with like more than a set number of dice you can just tank any attack or okay you have an attack that has what are called hard dice which are basically dice that are always set to the best possible outcome and so it's like okay so like you literally walk into a room and you just headshot everybody in the room without even flinching like that that's not going to work so out of the the systems that you've played how do they compare favorably or unfavorably to D&D? Um, well, it's kind of a thing. The way that I always see it is that, like, every system basically has a sort of shape, effectively. And every game that you want to run basically also has, like, a hole. So the thing is with D&D is that for certain aspects of things, it's great. Like, if you want to run a mid to high-ish level fantasy game, like, you know, something J.R.R. Tolkien, but not, like, with wizards flying all over the place, like, level 3 to 10 D&D is, like, fantastic for that. If you want to do that in something like Savage Worlds, you can still do it, but Savage Worlds doesn't fit the whole properly. So you've got to, like, add stuff to it to make sure that it fits without it rattling around a whole bunch. But D&D has sort of drawbacks to it. Like, the one big thing is that there's a very lack of lethality to it. So, like, if you want to run something that's, like, based on uh, A Song of Ice and Fire or Game of Thrones, where a character with a dagger is a serious, like, danger to anybody, you can't do that in D&D because... Any high-level warrior being attacked by a commoner with a dagger is going to be like, stop, stop that, get away from me. No, no, stop that, you're, you're tickling me. <laughs> so there's a problem with that. And it also doesn't really do high fantasy very well, like dynasty warrioring your way through, like, a ton of mooks on the battlefield until you find Lu Bu and pursue him. Um, like, you don't really do that well because then you end up in mass combat in D&D, and mass combat in D&D is just, like, okay, we're gonna take the pacing of the game and just grind it to a halt, and everybody's gonna stop, and I'm gonna roll 17 d20s in order to figure out what all the attacks for these enemies are. Yeah, that's a, a big downfall I find in 5th edition is, like, the way they've built it is, if you have more enemies than you have party members... Your party is in for a bad time. Yeah. <laughs> like, previous editions had some ways to get around that. Fourth had minions, which are probably one of the things that I, I'm going to start bringing out of fourth <laughs> and applying because they're great. But, like, yeah, it's fifth as it is is not great for bigger combats. Yeah. Uh, a kind of funny related to that is uh, one of the members of our podcast, Yvette, is kind of the, the newest member of tabletop games in general. And for like, the longest time, she just kind of went with the idea, like, because our whole thing is we're the alternative tabletop RPGs. We don't play D&D because D&D has problems and we want to showcase things that can solve those problems. And so she's like, she just kind of took that on faith. And then last week she comes into the session she's like, guys, 
I finally get it. I'm so sorry I ever doubted you. Because she played through a session in where they were all level one, and it was basically just three hours of killing rats in a tavern basement. And she's like, oh, I, I finally understand now. We're like, ah, yes, good. Yeah, that's like my my group and the people I play with. We tend to start, if we're doing low level, it's third. Because mm. that's when you actually get your class yeah, stuff. And that is what Joey, our resident D&D apologist, also says. is like, <laughs> start at third level. You like Unless everybody wants to go through that grind to get to level three, start at third level. I think one of my favorite starting... It was, wasn't even starting at first level. One of my favorite stories I've read online was somebody whose DM started them all off as level zero commoners. Oh, no. And they played a like a, a one-shot, like a weekend-long one-shot. And because they were like level zero, they had like two hit points. So like they were fighting some rats and goblins and stuff. And like the characters who were alive at the end, because like as soon as you die, here's a new commoner. Like, yeah. Taking a person. Like the people that you're left with at the end, <laughs> those are the characters you're, you're like, okay, now you're level one. <laughs> and people like they started the game off being like, oh, I love Johnny. He's so good at this. <laughs> All of a sudden he's able to hit things. Yeah. Oh, it's like, oh my God, you've survived the town being burned to the ground. Like, here, you're a hero now. Just go. <laughs> like, all of your familial ties are gone. Adventure. Yeah. I actually played in a game where we started at level zero, but it was it was in fourth, which was a bit more forgiving for a low level. Yeah. And, um, and the, the thing about that is, like, if you want to do that, you have to be, and you want your players to survive with the characters they've built, you have to be very careful about how you put it together. Yeah. And that's one of the great things about a lot of the systems we do, like Wild Talents and Savage Worlds, is there is no, like, you have to get to the point where your character is interesting. Your characters start interesting, and you just go from there. Because you already have your superpowers with their limitations and stiff they can do. Or in Savage Worlds, you can just build your character at the beginning to already be, like, a master-level sharpshooter. And that's it. You can go with that. And that's one of the main reasons it's like, all right, well, this makes making one-shots a lot easier because you don't have to put the kids' gloves on to make sure they get to that level where people are having fun. It's just, bam, go. I mean, it also sounds like a system where you don't necessarily need to worry about leveling up as much. You can build your character and this is what they do and you can kind of go with it. Oh, yeah. That's that's also a, the thing with Wild Talents is it's all point by. So you can basically, like, you can start basically as the punch guy. But then you can, like, by the end of the campaign, you could be the punch guy who's also got, like, ten dice in mind. So he's also now, like, super goddamn smart and pulls ridiculous bullshit out of his, like, hat, like, JoJo style. So is there anything that you think from the systems that you've played that if you did play D&D again, that there'd be a system from Savage Worlds or Wild Towns you'd be like, this thing, I need this thing to make my D&D campaign better. Yeah, um, the big one, and something that was brought up earlier, was the concept of uh, minions. In Wild Talents, they're basically called mooks. And they're effectively, like... Very low-level enemies, like, they don't even get their own separate die pool. They all roll together because they're just that incompetent that they have to work together to work on things. But they're, like, they're things that you can take out in one shot. So once your characters get to, like, a certain level, having some of those in there so that the fighter can be like, okay, I wade in and, like, just chop and hack and slash. And it actually feels like he's hacking and slashing through dudes way below his power level and stuff like that. Um, another sort of thing that I would bring in from Savage Worlds is the concept of uh, what are called bennies. And basically what bennies are is that they are like tokens that you get at the beginning of every play session and you can spend them in order to like get better results on a roll or something like that. The flip side is that every time you spend a benny, the DM gets to collect that benny and then gets to use that against the players whenever he sees fit. That sounds like the force points from the Star Wars Edge of the Empire system, where at the start of the game, 
the each of the players will roll. They have the force die that has either one, two, one or two white dots or one or two black dots, and they all roll one, and that's how many force points are up are out on the on the table, white side up or black side up. And the DM can flip one that's black over to like screw over the players a little bit. Right. The players can flip over a white one. So like it's this constant give and play of like the players are like I'm gonna do something awesome, and the DM is like cool, now I can do something to you. Yeah. Uh, another thing that, since you mentioned that, there's a system that I'm reading through right now called Cybermancy, which is to give you the elevator pitch. It's, okay, imagine a J.R.R. Tolkien fantasy and the dwarves suddenly discover how to make the internet and everything gets worse. That sounds amazing. Yeah, it, it's a pretty fun thing to look through just to see how like the different how they've managed to make the different cultures evolve. But the thing that they have in there is uh, on any fear check, uh, if the player fails... They can choose to basically say to the DM, no, I'm not going to freeze up or run away or whatever. I'm going to stand and do whatever. And by doing that, they then give the DM basically carte blanche that so long as they're in that period where they're afraid, they can basically take one of their successes, uh, one of their either successes or one of their failures and upgrade it to a dramatic failure, which means stuff really goes bad. So you could steal yourself to fight the giant spider that's coming down, but eventually you're going to end, something is going to screw up because you're panicking and, you know, something goes wrong. Uh, are there any systems that you haven't gotten a chance to check out yet that you'd really like to try? Oh, man, that is a really big question. <laughs> well, well, while you're thinking about it, I've got, I've got a couple right off the bat. Like, I just picked up Tales from the Loop, which is the, which is basically Stranger Things, the board, the role-playing game. Okay. Um, it's, it's got a fairly simple system. It seems like something that, uh, you could create characters in, like, less than half an hour, and the stories are very much, uh, it's very storytelling-oriented, and it's very much like a, you know, you can have a scene with just, like, a single character who's just like, I come home, and the DM's like, and your, your dad is at the table, and you, you hear him like stifle some cries as he hears you come in mm. and like you just have a quick scene like that yeah and one of the interesting things that i like about the system is that one of the the rules one of like they have this bullet point list of just these are like the core tenets of the game and because you're playing as kids from age 10 to 15 one of the core rules is kids don't die oh, okay so like the kids can get freaked out they can suffer penalties and like maybe they get like a broken arm or they're just like psychologically freaked out but they're never going to like they're never going to die and yeah. i think that's a that's a pretty cool like the system like i read through the book and the whole thing just it seems like a well polished put together like doesn't seem like it's well suited for really long campaigns it really seems like it's a four or five weekends and you're done right um but it seems like a really fun system to just have some fun with some friends yeah yeah well now that you said that i have managed to think of so the first one obviously was the uh aforementioned cybermancy i've been wanting to run that just for because again the idea of like oh, and then the dwarves discover the internet it's just it's too good of an idea to pass off um the other two that i wanted to play and one you already mentioned was eclipse phase because i've heard a lot of good things about that in terms of like ah well your character can suffer from existential cloning dread when they wonder okay which one of me is the real me stuff like that it's uh it's it's at the top of my list of rpgs just because like it's it's science fiction it's transhuman and it's horror yeah so, and the like for example i ran a campaign it didn't manage to finish so i don't and i don't think we're ever going to start to back up so <laughs> i don't mind spoiling the ending but basically what had happened was the players had been because one of the things that can happen is like you can just get your your mind beamed to another planet we're on a moon of saturn and we need to get to mars okay well you pay a bunch of money and your mind gets beamed to mars <laughs> so what had happened was they wake up on mars because they were sent to do a mission and they were trying to track down a weapons deal of some like crazy weapons but what had actually happened was 
one of the crazy AIs that had caused the downfall, like a remnant of it, had intercepted them, and they were running in a simulation. <laughs> and the game started on their like two thousandth run of the simulation. Oh my god, that sounds awesome! And I was like, what was happening was like I was trying to like keep dropping hints of like like a door appears like that was the main thing like the very first room they were in there was a red exit door and i kept like referencing that red exit door so that like if they had gone through it their character would have just been gone and like <laughs> but then that character would be on the outside with the real them ah yes uh so they have things like oh you see a cat walk by and then you turn around and you see another cat that looks very similar to the last one walk by in the yeah. exact same way and uh, the other one that I also really wanted to try, especially with my group, since we tend to do a lot of social stuff very well, is what's called Fellowship. And the idea behind Fellowship is basically the DM plays the, the big bad guy in, like, stereotypical fantasy. And everybody else in the party plays um, particular races as, like, a fellowship that's been brought together to defeat the big bad guy. The, the interesting twist becomes every single person is basically a collective representative of what their particular species is. So if you're playing the orc, you are the representative orc. You have their culture, their knowledge, and all of that is decided by the player, not the DM. So at any point, it could be like, oh, um, we've run into a haiku contest. And then the orc player shows up and it's like, well, part of orc culture is haiku battles. I am experienced with this. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I haven't really read too much into it because I haven't been able to find a book yet, but I've been wanting to try it just because that idea of, like, people being able to just be like, oh, no, I'm really good at this. Trust me, the elf can, like, bench press 300 pounds, no problem. We're a warrior class. <laughs> like, just some, like, situations like that just seems like it would be really, really great. Just to circle back really quickly, though, if you ever do run Eclipse Phase, find one of the spreadsheets that helps you make a character. <laughs> oh, Yeah. Yeah, no, um, there's actually a fun thing about Shadowrun is that there's actually a program somebody built that's called uh, Chummer, I think, yeah. which is basically just there to expedite character creation, because if not, it's like, oh my god, you have to write so much stuff down, it's nuts. Shadowrun is a game that I would love to get into a campaign and play it or DM it, but the problem is, that, like, I tried doing uh, a couple, like a year ago, the group that I played Eclipse Face with, we did the D&D 5th Edition starter kit, mm -hmm. and after that was done, we're like, I'd like to DM another campaign for you three people, um, but let's try a different system. And I had a bunch of the uh, free RPG day, like little magazines. That oh, have, like, the little, little designs. Yeah, yeah, those guys. And so we did one for Eclipse Phase. We did one for Star Wars uh, and we did Shadowrun. I can't remember which edition of Shadowrun it was. Oh, boy. But like the thing was like for Eclipse Phase, it's like you, you're on a ship and you're trying to track down a nuclear warhead. And then they like a bunch of stuff happens. They track it down. It goes off. Off. Oh, no, sorry, it's uh, nanomachines. Ah, yes. The, the nanomachines get, get released and either they escape or they die. But then the next thing is, okay, now you're on Mars, all of you. Like, the ones who died, like, no, you had a brain backup. So, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. like, now you're on Mars and a bunch of stuff happens there. So, like, it can all be done in one session, but there's a whole bunch of different stuff that happens. Then we played Shadowrun. <laughs> and the Shadowrun was, like, this was the, the entire, like, this was 15 pages of this, this like, one shot was... You walk into a bar, somebody picks a fight with you. Oh, God. That was it. Oh, no. <laughs> and I think, I, I want to say it was like fourth edition or something, but to, that simple setup took us four hours to play. Yeah, like... Because the combat I just found was just, there's, I don't know why we just weren't able to grok it. It was just dice and math and more dice and more math, and it just broke us. Yeah, no, like, Shadowrun is is one of those systems. Like, we had, uh, like, basically in Shadowrun, there's this class called the Technomancer, and they're basically computer wizards in the literal definition of the sense. 
And we had a player who was playing one in both campaigns that I was in. And it was grueling because Technomancer is like, any class in Shadowrun is like super detailed. Like each one has its own, like each of the magic classes has like its own separate section in the rulebook just for them. And like this person playing a Technomancer hadn't read any of that. So like, it was basically like, I want to do this. Okay, well, you know, like how? And then they would just sit like stare there and be like, um, look through the rulebook, look through the rulebook. DM starts looking through the rulebook. I start looking through the rulebook, trying to speed this up. And it just... Like, yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, there's a lot of work involved, but like I said, we had, we had one camp, we had the two campaigns I'm in, it was the same guy doing the DMing, and he ran the same encounter twice. It was a hostage extraction at a luxurious hotel. So the second time we ran it, everything goes perfectly. We sneak upstairs to the top penthouse, knock out the guys, get the hostage, go. It went off without a hitch. It was brilliant. The first time we did it, we ended up with half the hotel being on fire, the other half being blown to bits, and either a bunch of dead, unconscious, or severely pissed off security guards in our wake. And it's just like, oh god, like this the sheer difference between those two things is always like one of those stories. It's like, let me tell you about Shadowrun. That sounds like a system you really have to be ready to play. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Another system that I'd like to play and mostly just do one shots with is uh, the newest edition of Paranoia. Oh god, I've wanted to play Paranoia for so long. It sounds so like so much fun. My the re- the main reason I want to play Paranoia is because I played the previous edition and. The problem with the previous edition of Paranoia is that you're supposed to, like, it's a game meant to be one-third backstabby. Yeah. Like, you're supposed to be aiming to be the last person left alive at the end of a mission so nobody can dispute that everybody else was terrorists. Yes. Uh, or communists, depending on the version. What they did with this most recent edition to, like, start the game off with a, like, hey, yeah, I'm going to get you, is that character creation starts off with, like, okay, I got the high roll so I get to go first. I'm going to take a plus one in this skill. That means that you get a minus one in that skill. (laughs) And it goes around the table so that like by the end of the game, you're like, you gave me a minus six in guns and I wanted guns. (laughs) Guess who who got the plus five in knives though? Shake, 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 shake. So you start off like the character creation is meant to start you off having that backstabbing built in. Like you know who you want to go after. So there's no like, Oh, I just met you. We just sat down. It's like, no, you screwed me out of a plus five. So it you start off the game right off the bat knowing exactly who you want to get. And um, I think that's amazing. Yeah, that, that actually sounds like it'd be a lot of fun. It reminds me of, I haven't played it personally, but the board game Fiasco, which yes, has a sort of yes. similar thing. Yeah, like that. Like, okay, you're starting off. You already hate each other's guts. Let's see where this goes. Yeah. A note on Fiasco, too. It's, um, it's a great game to play when you're making characters and trying to build relationships between them. Oh. Because you can, like, play through about half of the game. And then you've established some scenes with other characters and some stuff like that. And I think that, I know we've used it for D&D before, but I think you can use it on pretty much any system. Yeah, no, that, that would actually be really good for like, um, you know, the Savage Worlds one shot that I'm wanting is basically one that takes place like immediately after the Civil War and all the players are in New Orleans. And that would have actually been a way better like way of establishing the character arcs than just being like, okay, well, you guys have created these characters and how do these backstories sound sort of thing. Like that would have been way better. I'd like to, another, the last one that I'd like to play that's on my list is Fate. Yeah. Um, Well, specifically the Dresden Files. Oh, okay. Because it's built, it basically, my understanding of Fate was that Evil had games, they made Fate and then they made a couple of games that used Fate as the core rules. Like they have Spirits of the Century which is basically like pulp action set in the 1920s. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
And they kind of did that a couple of times until they had kind of really figured out how fate should work and they made Dresden Files. Oh, okay. So it's like the distillation, basically. Yeah, and okay. the reason that I like the idea of fate is that, like, it the rules are really simple. Like, there's a couple of skills uh, that you have plus one to plus five in, and there's only four dice that have blank, minus, or plus. And there's a couple of other things, but Jesse's played it recently. Uh, last Friday. Last Friday. And... Yeah, I really want to play it. Sounds yeah, like yeah. a really fun storytelling. Yeah. I I have played a version of like just the core rules of fate. Uh, Joey, one of the other guys on our podcast, ran like a one shot that uh, was basically um, the plot of Space Jam, but replace uh, basketball with dodgeball. And uh, yeah, like I thought it was a really fun system. Like it was my first introduction to it, and everybody else had played it once before, so I was kind of coming in new. And but I still had a lot of fun with it. Um, there is, there's sort of like an unofficial JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Fate module that's running out there. Because the idea with Fate um, is based, like for the tagging of the aspects, the whole like idea behind JoJo, the whole like onus of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure is don't solve fights with punching things. Solve it first by using shenanigans, using your special ghost powers, and then <laughs> fight it with punching. So someone built a system that's basically just you have nothing but aspects and then it's up to you to come up with stupid bullshit ways that you can use those aspects to gain the upper hand. And I'm just like, oh, I really want to play that. But finding, like, a bunch of people that both know JoJo's Bizarre Adventure and, like, know it enough to the point that they want to play tabletop games is, like, a really small intersection. So it's like, hmm. Yeah, because JoJo is pretty dense now, too. It's, there's a lot of episodes at this point. Right? Yeah, yeah. Like, even just the anime, and that's not even including, like, the manga that has, like, eight parts or something like that. But, yeah. Like, and it's also just getting into that mindset of, okay, I have defined my powers to be as broad as possible, like, what can I do with these? Because that is one of those things where it's like, oh, well, how does my stand, like, be unique? How does it do these cool things? Or, like, what's my power going to be? And that's something that was a really big, like, thing in creation was, what does your stand do? And just how difficult that just is. Speaking of the core rules of fate, that are there, uh, that's another system that I think I'm going to steal for building character backgrounds. Okay. Just because the way it works, if you're doing kind of just the traditional basic core rules of fate... Is you're like, okay, what's the high concept for my character? I'm, you know, an elven ranger. Okay, fine. That, that's not the interesting thing when you're applying it to D&D. What's interesting is that you then go, I went on this adventure recently. And this is an aspect of my character, personality-wise or whatever, that came from that. Mm -hmm. And then the next person goes, okay, how was I involved in that adventure? So I showed up in that adventure and did this. And so you, you pre-build at least one existing adventure where two party members have intersected. So they might have a rivalry. They might have a friendship. One might think they owe the other one or something like that. Yeah. And it's just a, it's a good way to build in those character relationships before you start playing the game and kind of just decide on the fly. Yeah. Um, a lot of the Powered by the Apocalypse systems also have that. Um, the World Wrestling Federation one that we played, basically, like, the beginning of like, the end of character creation, you have a list of questions, and you can ask as many or as little as you want, but you have to at least ask one. And the thing is, you say the question, and then somebody else has to come up with the answer. So, like, it can be the rest of the group, it could be one person, but somebody else has to come up with the answer for that question, and that's the answer for that question. And that establishes things like, okay, uh, who am I being the protege to? Uh, who am I keeping out of the spotlight? Who's jealous of my particular abilities? Oh, and it creates, like, a lot of interpersonal stuff. And again, Powered by the Apocalypse is sort of built on that more social aspect, so it kind of works a bit more. But I would assume with some tweaking, it would also work for D&D. With the world wrestling one, uh, do you get to decide if you're a heel or a face? You do. Oh my and god. And you actually amazing. get specific abilities 
based on being a heel or a face. And you trigger those abilities by, if you're a heel, doing something like standing up for something you believe in, or if you're a, uh, sorry, if you're a face, doing something like you stand up and believe for, or if you're a heel, by doing something despicable. <laughs> and you basically get, like, specific moves to that. That's amazing. So, we've talked about quite a few systems, and I was wondering if you have any re recommendations for good, like, kind of pick-up-and-play ones for, for newer players or for players who want to go through something quickly. Like, what's a good system for a quick one-shot? Um, if you really, like, Powered by the Apocalypse systems are really good because they cover, like, a lot of different bases. And the other thing that's really great about them is that every character gets a playbook, which is basically, like, a specific book that has all of their characters special abilities and stuff like that so for like people that are just getting into tabletop it's invaluable because you can just print these off at home fold them up and be like okay these are the archetypes what do you want to play and then they can choose one and then they get abilities based off of that if you're playing with people who are like a bit more experienced uh, Savage Worlds is really good just because it's so modular. It can do a lot of different stuff. You might have to, like I said before, like patch a couple of the holes in order to make it totally gel. But it's a very modular system, very simple mechanics. So, like, start with Powered by the Apocalypse, work to Savage Worlds, and then drop Shadowrun on them and get, okay, let's go! <laughs> so, one thing that I've been thinking about recently is choosing a system that fits the story that you want to tell. Mm -hmm. What system would you choose if you were going to... For example, run a horror game or a high adventure game or Ocean's Eleven heist game. Okay, so the thing with this is that like a really easy way to sort of figure out what system is good for. Almost every rule book in like for any system ever will have a bunch of like inspiration of or stuff like that. That's not fluff. That's a giant hint basically telling you, okay, this is what this system is really good for. So, uh, so in order, um, the horror game. Uh, big ones that you want to look out for are things that are either, like, high lethality or things that already deal with horror. Like, you can take, um, like, a Call of Cthulhu system, strip out all the Cthulhu mythos, and you've still got a system that's very lethal, very, like, good at handling horror effects, sanity loss, all that sort of stuff. You just can strip out all of the Cthulhu mythos, and that skeleton framework is still really, really good. Um, for a high swashbuckling adventure, uh, as I mentioned before, Rain from the One Roll Engine is sort of a really good, again, very modular. It's based mostly on like Age of Exploration, but it has a similar system to Wild Talents where you can create uh, particular disciplines that allow your character to be particularly good at something. So if you want to be a fencer, you can just put dice into the melee weapon sword skill, but you can also have a martial discipline that allows you to like, you know, uh, disarm foes with your sword, or, like, have a quick draw that reduces penalties if you're pulling your sword out and stuff like that. Very good for that. Also, uh, on the pulpier side of things, Savage Worlds is also really good for that as well. Um, not as modular as Rain, since there's a couple things in there, since, like, the main rulebook kind of assumes you've got weapons from all over the place. But if you're just looking for something that's, like, pulpy adventure, Savage Worlds is almost kind of, like, built for that sort of thing. What about a more, like, Dick Tracy pulp adventure? Ooh, um, there's a system I haven't played before, but I've heard a lot about called Gumshoe, which is more, I don't know what particular system it uses, but it's basically more the, the PI sort of thing. Like, that's the sort of, if you want to go for something like Dick Tracy as like the detective, that's sort of the, the system that I'd run with. I, again, I don't know a lot about it, unfortunately, but from what I've heard about it, it's very sort of like, all right, you are on the mean streets of Chicago and you are investigating the case. The chief is on your ass. You need to get results or he'll have your badge. Sort of thing. 
And for the Ocean's Eleven one, um, there's a system based on the TV show called Leverage that we've played through that is uh, basically very, very good for doing sort of heists. It's very rules light, um, but it's basically, it's based on the TV show, which is all about, like, you know, stealing money and then literally on the way out pulling down the pants of the bad guys that he's humiliated in front of everybody else. There's actually a mechanic in there where at the end of the heist, um, you have what's called, like, a flashback, which is what happens in the TV show, because it shows them doing stuff, and then it sort of at the end shows, like, okay, here's how they set it up, and it has, like, this flashback of them, like, you know, planting the evidence, or setting the explosives, or cracking the safe earlier, and so you can retroactively set up stuff so that, oh, like, not only did we get out with the jewels, but I also printed off a bunch of his fraudulent tax records that he's had, and left them all over his office for the police to find, stuff like that. So it's a very good system for that. And one that we also played, not Ocean's Eleven in a sense, um, because it basically takes place in like fantasy Venice, like low fantasy Venice, um, but Dusk City Outlaws is basically a one-shot system that's going through Kickstarter right now that we played through since one of our members of our podcast was one of the backers. And it's also pretty fun, which basically relies on the system of, okay, you can do uh, action or planning. And planning is you got 15 minutes real time to discuss whatever you want and ask the DM whatever pertinent questions you think your characters would know. And you have 15 minutes to come up with a plan. And then everything else is action scenes where the characters have to go out and, okay, figure out how to do the steps of the plan and stuff like that. And we played one shot of it. We haven't finished it yet, but it's it's shaping... It's a very interesting system that's very sort of like... Looks like it's built specifically to have that sort of like heist mentality. You can. That sounds like a system that you could very easily work into other systems for those specific type of... Uh, yeah, like there's a... The, the problem with... The, the one thing with that is that... Uh, like the Powered by the Apocalypse ones, you have what are the cartels, which are basically just all the different gangs, and then, um, like, your jobs. And you basically pick two in order to create a character. And the cartels tend to have a lot of stuff that is, like, specific to that system. Like, they'll have knowledge of, like, the Crown, or the Church, or the Gravediggers Association. But, like, it's not saying it's impossible, it's just not as, like, very cut and paste as someone would have Yeah, imagined. a lot more work to transfer it over. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So this will, I guess, be more general since we're talking kind of more about different systems and stuff. What's something that you know now that you wish when you first started DMing or GMing games that you knew as far as doing a good job, keeping the players happy, anything like that? Um, so the big thing that I have was basically knowing the three major, what I like to call them my major tenets on how to run a system. Like if you're pressed for time and you need to have something figured out for a system... Like, if you get these three things, you can basically run it a lot easier than having to read through the entire book over and over to memorize it. Uh, so the first two you can do before the first, uh, the session zero, and then the third one you can do after. So the first one is, know what the mechanic is. So what is the main mechanic that underlies the system? Is it percentile dice? Is it roll over a certain number? Is it, um, you know, match sets? Anything like that. How is difficulty determined? How is challenges set? How do you handle things like adverse conditions, stuff like that? Just knowing, like, what is the core mechanic, how it works, and, like, how it particularly sets up challenges for the players is basically the first thing to know. Because once you have that, you can kind of, regardless of what the other rules say, improvise things on the fly so you're not having to stop the game every time to look up, like, a specific rule. Um, the second thing to know is how to do the combat. And this is kind of... 
my particular thing because I like I like speedrunning, so I have this kind of mindset of like efficiency, efficiency, efficiency. <laughs> but just for me, every time that I played a game, I've always noticed that combat is the one section where things can drag down the most. So just having a basic idea of like, okay, how does combat work? How does initiative work? How do you handle damage? How do you handle attacks? Um, what do you roll to do those things? Like just knowing how combat flows in general basically is a really good thing to know because it, again, saves time stopping the game and flipping through the rule book. And the third thing, which is after the session zero, is to know what any unique character abilities are, or at least be aware of where you can find them. And this is kind of on the players as well, and this is something that as a DM I really didn't hammer into the, the people, uh, was basically just, hey, like, I'd like you to know how your character works. Please, like, read this section just so that you're absolutely sure and ask questions or anything like that. Because, like, just knowing, like, okay, this character has this unique ability and I can find it here is very useful to have just in case you need a reference. Because not everyone's in D&D, not everyone's going to have a copy of the player's handbook, and in other systems, not everyone's going to write everything down. So just being aware of, like, special instances of a character doing something just speeds things up mo uh, very much. And if I knew that a long, like, a while ago, it'd just make a lot of my earlier games just flow a lot smoother. All right. Uh, thanks so much for coming on, Harry. Oh, uh, well. Where can people find you online? Uh, you can find us at listentothesenerds.tumblr.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at at LTTNCast. And you can also find us on SoundCloud uh, uh, by just searching Listen to These Nerds. And we hope to see you guys then. Thanks so much. Yeah. Cool. Thanks yeah. for having me. Thanks for coming out. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode. Our logo and other artwork is done by the wonderful Haley Boros. Our theme music is Overworld by Kevin McLeod. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and subscribe on iTunes or Google Play. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at DMs of Vancouver, all one word. We'd love to hear from you folks about topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. Lastly, if you want to help us out, we've got a Patreon account where you can become a patron for as little as $1 a month. Each little bit helps, and all the money will go to making this podcast as awesome as possible. See you next time, folks. Roll for initiative! <laughs>